You're on SENZ. This is Phoenix Nation. Thanks to Oppo. Coming up on the show, Phoenix and uh, Liberty A-League player Kate Taylor is going to join us a little bit later on. We'll also hear from Adam Peacock from codesports.com.au about expansion of the A-League and a, and a possible second tier. We'll do all that right now, though. We have Scott Wooten on the line, a central defender from the Wellington Phoenix. Uh, good to have you back on the field, Scott. How How is the rehab, mate? Yeah, it was good. Um, a little bit longer than I first initially thought, to be honest. Uh, I think it was seven weeks since the Sydney FC away game. Um, so, you know, it was a bit longer than I thought initially, but these things take time. It was a bit of a niggly injury in a, in a funny place, so I have to be careful with it. I have to take my time and you know, I'm just, just grateful that I'm, I'm back now fully fit and available for the team, so hopefully it's not to the end of the season. Uh, how are you um, as a uh, as an injured recovering player? How, how does it affect you? Yeah, no, not great to be honest. I'm sure the physios are backed up. I'm probably a bit annoying asking, you know, uh, what is this right? Should I be doing this? Can I do this? How long is this going to take? What about if we do this way? So probably not the uh, not the most easiest, but you know, it's just because I, I hate being injured. To be honest, um, you know, I had a few bad injuries um, early on in my career, so. Uh, you know, I'm not probably the best. The physio is just walking past me now, actually. So I'm sure he would back me up that I'm probably not ideal in the, in the treatment room. But um, yeah, listen, it's part and parcel of sport. Ultimately, uh, elite level sport, you, you're going to get injured at some point. So, but yeah, I don't think I'm the best. Uh, well, mate, it's just it's just good that you're back fit and, and we've got you back on the park. Um, there has been a tendency this season for the Phoenix, uh, and, I, and I think it's shone through even more when you weren't there, uh, for the Phoenix to, to not be able to hold on to leads. Um, Sitting on the sideline, that must have been frustrating. But what do you put that down to? Yeah, listen, you know, obviously it's frustrating when you're watching the games and you can't help and, and stuff like that. But I think I think there's a couple of things, you, different ways you could look at it. For me personally, I feel like when we're playing well in games, and we, we are playing, we play really well and we create so many chances. We've, we've never really killed teams off, probably apart from Western United. In the home game before the World Cup break, you know. Other than that, I feel like when we're only one goal, when we're only one goal ahead, the other team always are going to have a spell in the, at some point in the game. So, and we we just obviously haven't been able to completely shut the back door on that. So I feel like the the Western United away game in Tasmania, we were ruthless. We got the second goal, then we got the third goal, and then for the last thirty minutes, the game was done. Whereas if that game's still only one nil, and we don't take our chances that we did do. And you, you know what it's like. You're in for a long half an hour because they, you've played really well. They know that you've played well. They can grow in confidence off the back of you not killing the game. And that's happened, I think, a bit too too much for us this season. Instead of killing teams off when we've had them, we've had them on the ropes. We've we've not. We haven't took our chances and and we've let them back in the game. Last week, um, we we managed to get a point uh, from a, a, a position that we didn't look like we were going to get one, and it was almost a reversal of what we've seen a lot of the season, where we've been the better team and then and then coughed something up towards the end. Uh, so it was nice to get one back on on that front, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we well, I don't think it was our worst performance, but it was nowhere near our best performance uh, last week for sure. Um, and I think when you're not quite at your best, or you don't play, you're not playing normal football like we did. I think it's vital that like you, you can still pick up results. And you know, Central Coast, in my opinion, are one of the better teams in the league. The way they play, they've got so much energy, they press high. 
Um, so to come away with a point, you know, was wasn't bad. Really looking forward now to two big home games, and um, you know, like I say, you, you take the point and move on. Yeah, how how disruptive is it if you've got a, a set back line, right? Say like you and Tim playing in the middle and Callan playing out right, and then Callan obviously gets suspended, so Tim has to go out right. You get a different partner in the middle. How disruptive is that for you? Yeah, it, it can be because you know I, I'm big for building relationships with people, and you only get that by length of time playing together you know so like you say it, it looked like we had a, a reasonably settled back four with, with what you just said you know Colin Elliott who's been great at right back Lucas you know was nailing down the left back position and then you're looking thinking we, you know we go and beat Sydney FC we get a couple of good results and you're thinking you know this this could be the back four now for the rest of the season and then you know I obviously get injured uh, Schutz and Lucas are swapping and changing a bit Lucas picks up a little niggle Cal gets suspended all these things pop up and it's why you have obviously a squad and I do believe you've got a good squad of players to be able to deal with it but you know, it's not ideal because like I said I feel especially as a back four and a goalkeeper the longer the partnerships spend together the better the relationships build and the more trust and the more you know what each other are going to do and that can really benefit the team and, and, and the back line. Now you got Newcastle this weekend uh, and they're a bit of something of a bogey team aren't they Newcastle? They, they always seem to um, seem to find a way to get a result against us. What do you think that is? I'm not, I'd love, I'd love, uh, I'd love to know. But um, no, yeah, you're right. I think we, we um, before I come last year, I think they they give us a good hide in that their place. Um, my first game against them was in Gosford at Central Coast Stadium, and I think we won three two. I think David Ball scored a header late on, which was a great result for us at the time, and then. I think we actually played them with a really, really young team later on in the season and got got pumped four 0 I think. Um, so yeah, they beat us obviously at this start of this season. They started really fastly against us and, and we couldn't couldn't get into the game the first ten fifteen minutes. So yeah, so we're, we're well aware of their strengths and how they play, and I think we're better equipped. We'll, we'll be more equipped this time round to, to be able to deal with it, and, and you know we, we need to win this game. They've got a couple of familiar faces in Reno Piscopo and, and Josh Satorio who have been previously been at the club. Uh, does that help, do you think, when, you know, as a def- not just as a defensive unit, but just as a team to uh, know those guys so well when you, when you come up against them? Yeah, I think it can do, but I don't really think it would change change the outcome of the game. I think if you want to be one against like Reno, for example, you know what he likes and what he wants. He wants you to come and get close and so he can wriggle his way out of things and, you know, he looks pleasing on the eye, and, and likewise with Sotirio, you know how fast he is. So you know, as a defending player or as a team, you, you don't want to give him space to run into off the ball. So there is little instances and little things, but you know, throughout your career, you find loads of these things. You play against former clubs, or you have players playing coming back to play against former clubs, and it very rarely affects the outcome of the game. You just got to be aware of these little their, their attributes in, in, during the nineteen minutes. Sip James Bloody McGarry, eh? Oh, unbelievable, isn't it? Hey, what is it? Forty games for the Phoenix, no goals, and and, to, but, and what I said to the lads is what, what's even more frustrating is it's not like he scored goals for Newcastle or Central Coast against any other team either. It's literally his only two goals have both been against us, which is it's just it is what it is. You know what I mean? There's no point laughing. Well, we can laugh about it or moan about it, or whatever. What it is, what it is, it's gone now. And you know, fair play to Jimmy, but for us. It's frustrating, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I bet, I bet. All right, well, hey, uh, Scott, I'd like to bring up a couple other things uh, before we finish, if that's all right, mate. Um, 
you've played obviously yeah of, yeah, bulk of your career in, in the UK. Um, the FA Cup is uh, is 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 a big tournament. You know, we, we all grew up. Well, I did at least uh, getting out of bed at three in the morning to watch it with the family, etc. Uh, Max Crocombe this morning played in goal for Grimsby Town, who's a Kiwi played for the All Whites. Uh, they got a two-one win against Southampton at St Mary's. They're now into the quarterfinals. Not bad for a team in the fourth tier. Just how big a deal is that? Mm. Yeah, that'd be huge. I mean, that could even that that one game alone could completely change the fortunes of, of Grimsby Town of that football club for for the next couple of years. You know, the money they would they would get from that going away to the Premier League ground would be huge, would be, be I say life changing, but it'd be it'd be change the fortune to the club in terms of the budget, sort out the finances, the experience that the players and staff have got of going to the Premier League venue is is just huge really. You can't really replicate it and like you say for the fourth tier team to get to the quarter final is a, is an amazing achievement, really. Um, so, so fair play to them and, and fair play to the goalkeeper. I was aware of it this morning. Coming in, a few of the boys said that he, he obviously knew knowing who played with him in the all white said that he was starting goal against Southampton, and so we were keeping an eye on the result. And, and you know, credit to them; it's a great, great win. Yeah, fantastic win, and they've drawn Brighton away in the quarterfinals. So, one Premier League oh, wow. final to another. So, uh, yeah, yeah, fantastic. That, that puts yeah. them pretty good. Yeah, I think when you get to them quarterfinal stages, you know that you're probably going to be getting a Premier League side. But you know they've, they've gone and beat Southampton, so I'm sure they'll be. It's a free hit for them. You know they'll go there under no pressure whatsoever. And you know, like I said, the biggest picture for them is you know they're a pretty small team in League Two, and they've gone on this cup run and. You've seen it before that the money that they they generated from this cup run could um, could propel them into challenging for for the promotion in the future. Now, uh, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, Scott, was uh, United lifting the League Cup. Um, how big is that for the squad? Winning something after six years and, and Eric Ten Hag in his first season getting some silverware. Yeah, I think it's massive. Um, I just don't think that you could replicate. With that winning feeling and go and getting over the line, you know, I I obviously looked out for Oliver on the social side a lot because he was my reserve coach and he lost two finals. I'm pretty sure I know he definitely lost the Europa League final, and I just felt at the time that was such a big blow for him and the team because they just got so close. But when you just don't get over the line, that can affect you mentally. Whereas I think, to be fair, Eric Ten Hag's been unbelievable since he came in and that first win. You've seen what it's done for the likes of I think Mourinho at Chelsea. He took the Carabao Cup so seriously. He won it nearly every year and it went on to, it didn't hinder his league campaign. He, he always went on to win the league and the same with Pep Guardiola. They've gone on, they've won that first cup, they've got that winning feeling amongst the team and amongst the squad. And then, um, you know, they've gone on to, 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 to dominate really both Mourinho at Chelsea and, and Pep's Man City. So hopefully, I'm not saying Man United is going to dominate, but it can certainly give them that, that winning culture and that winning feeling spirit within the, the dressing room. And now they, they all know, they, okay, it's not one of the major competitions. But they've they've been there. They've got over the line. They've got the trophy. They've got their hands on it, and and that can only stand them in good stead as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and a good one this morning against the Hammers as well. So under the quarterfinals of the FA Cup uh, and into the last sixteen of the Europa League, maybe an outside chance at the Premier League as well. It's all it's all going uh, pretty pretty well at the moment at uh, Old Trafford, isn't it? Yes, unbelievable. I think from the first two games in the season where they lost the home and they lost the Brentford four 0 to how he turned it round, he deserves huge, huge amounts of credit as, as far as I'm concerned. He, he just strikes it as someone who knows exactly what he wants. He sets the highest of standards in training off the pitch. You, you see, you know, obviously it's well 
well documented all the stuff with Ronaldo big decisions he's not, not afraid to make big decisions with you know like Harry Maguire who's captain England's international leaving him out um, the former Marcus Rashford what he's had to do with Sancho I just feel like a minute everything he's doing every decision he's making he's getting absolutely spot on and long may that continue yeah, 100%, 100%. Good stuff, Scott. Hey, listen, thanks for your time, mate. Uh, could talk more and more in United with you, but we have limited time, and I know you've probably got a training session. Too, so <laughs> we'll let you go, mate. Uh, all, all the best for the weekend. Uh, I, I hope to see you get three points at the Caketon, and then uh, Monday morning, uh, get three three points at Anfield. It'll be beautiful. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. That'd be a perfect weekend. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> go well, brother. Cheers. Thanks, mate. See you later. You're on SENZ. This is Phoenix Nation, thanks to Oppo. Earlier in the week, I caught up with Australian football journalist Adam Peacock. He writes for codesports.com.au. He'd written a story about possible A-League expansion and what a second tier would mean because that has also been floated. I got him on the show on Extra Time to find out a bit more about it and get his take on how it's all going to work. Yeah, no worries. All good. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Good. And uh, things are, are rapidly moving in the uh, landscape of football across both our countries at the moment, mate. And probably uh, nothing more uh, exciting on the horizon than potentially a second tier of the A-League um, mm. and talk of expansion as well. Can both of those things happen at the same time? Or do you think we'll get one first and the other will will, will follow on? Well, I think, I think they can happen at the same time because they're being organised by two different groups. And this is the interesting part of, out of it all. The, the APL that runs the A-Leagues, they're pushing ahead with expansion plans. And Football Australia with um, have looked at the landscape underneath the A-League throughout Australia with the, the NPL state-based competitions and said, we'll help out and organise a, a national second division. So they're, they're parallel universes, basically, mate. So it's, um, it's a strange old situation because last time I looked, not many A-Leagues clubs are actually making any kind of coin they're, they're they're losing money pretty quickly so i don't know how financially it's all going to work out but it's it's got a bit of intrigue about it it does uh on that you know part of this situation with the uh with the second tier is going to be a potential promotion relegation in the future uh, given the apl is a separate body how do you see that working and i mean for me it's like you know a turkey vote, voting for more christmas dinners right i mean and mm. do you expect them to do it is there a sense of greater good with the apl uh it's hard because the apl is a conglomeration of clubs so like you say with the turkey reference what why would they introduce something that's going to damage one of them Absolutely, with the, the prospect of being relegated. Look, I don't think promotion relegation is on the table for... I'd be surprised if it happened within the decade. Now, I know that might mortify a lot of people, but I, I just look at it through how NPL clubs are set up and, and what they want to do and also A-League's clubs, and there's a big gap there. So that's what the National Second Division is being brought in for in the first place to bridge that gap. If that works, then we can start talking about promotion relegation. But, oh, it's it's a... It's a big question for the APL, how much of the greater good. And look, everyone realises that, and I'm not sure they they would, all the clubs agree with it, that football will be better if there is promotion relegation because you've got the storyline of all storylines there. So I don't know, mate. I, I, I've, I've waited and waited and waited to get to this stage. So I think there's a bit more waiting to do.
Do you think there's potential that we maybe see something like we saw a few years ago in American sport, where you end up with basically two competing top divisions? Uh, like, you know, in the American football, they had the uh, National Football League and the American Football League, and, and then sometime down the track, they come together. I hope not, because all that's going to do is just drain money out of the sport that doesn't need to be. There, there, there needs to be a, a straight-up workable pyramid. And at the moment, there's a massive chunk of that pyramid missing from the midsection up to the top section. So uh, I I would hope we would avoid something like that. And if that does happen, it means ego's got in the way. So, yeah, I don't know if it, it might end up happening. I'm not sure, but hope it doesn't. So f- just talk us through this. The APL is completely independent, right, of Football Australia now, or do Football Australia still have a seat on the board there? They're, they've still got a seat on the board, and they do have a, a financial situation where they – that Football Australia receives a, I don't know, it's like the golden handshake that they get a portion of the revenues that the APL can produce. The APL signed that um, at the time and there didn't seem to be too many problems with it. I've just heard in the last six months that, oh, why do we have to give money to Football Australia? So it's a bit like signing up for a mortgage and then complaining about the repayments a bit after, in my regard. Now, in the first place, you, you need to blow up about it. But, yeah, they are they are pretty much running their own races. Um, There is a tenuous link there, but it's not a close one. Okay. So any money that Football Australia make, they can put into this, potentially put into the second tier National League and that will fund it, whereas the APL are effectively self-funded through their TV deal? Yeah, and their own commercial revenues, which is why they ended up selling a grand final to to New South Wales government um, for three years. That They determined that they needed that money, they needed that capital. So that's why... So obviously kicked off a bit of a debate, didn't it? But um, that's why they did it, because they're, they're their own business and they're just looking to open up as many revenue streams as possible. Now, you've got an NPL at the moment, right? With, with state, mm. Statewide, you've got all the, all the individual NPL state competitions and then they sort of come together at the end. How different is the second tier going to look? Um, well, that's what the PFA, I actually did an article for Code, last week and the PFA, the players union basically said we what we can't have is a an MPL on planes because you're not gonna heighten the product and all you're gonna do is make it more expensive for the teams to compete in. So they they need to find a, a way to make it professional because at the moment the MPL is not professional, it's semi professional. Now in saying that, a lot of the players who play, they're training three times a week, playing on a weekend, committing themselves as much as they can, but they've got their own jobs. Like some of them are successful real estate agents or successful business owners with um, trades or whatever. Are they really going to walk away from 150K a year to go and play for minimum wage as a footballer um, at the age of 24, 25? Maybe they're not earning that money with 24, 25, but the older ones I'm talking about definitely. I don't think they will. So that that's where they've got to find that that's going to be the trick with the national second division to find this financial model that's going to work for the clubs, not send them broke, but also pay the players what they need to be paid because they're professionals. So if it doesn't end up being a straight second tier league, Mm. what are the other options? I had seen floated an idea of some sort of champions league competition with the top clubs out of the NPL competing in that. Yeah. they'd, They'd probably take a, you know, they'd make it proportionate like they do with European Champions League, the stronger states that have a higher representation, the lower states less so. But look, it's it's a tough one that because I was relayed this anecdote a couple of years ago that a couple of weeks ago that in Perth they one of the clubs over there made the what they had the 
had a knockout at the end of the NPL and they had the national NPL grand final. And it was at this club in Perth. 150 people went because it's not a high-supported club. They were just successful. Is that what you want? Is that what you want for a, a setup for a competition? I'm, I'm pretty sure no. Um, so, that yeah, the, the, the fallback is the Champions League model, but that that wouldn't make a club professional. It maybe heighten the payments somewhat to the players, but a full-time professional wouldn't come out of that. So that's the bridging um, idea if this whole home and away season for the second tier doesn't come off. When the A-League started, a big part of the reason that the, uh, the clubs were rejigged and they just didn't bring Melbourne Knights and Sydney Olympic and things into it was because they wanted to get away from the ethnic-based clubs and make football a game for everybody, right? So uh, the way I look at it, the way that with the things I've been reading, it's the South Melbournes and those clubs that are trying to get in here. Um, from what you're saying, that could be problematic in terms of those clubs in terms of how much they're earning, et cetera. So are we going to see another situation where uh, Football Australia then says, all right, we're going to have a second-tier competition, but you either have to amalgamate with a neighbour or we have to have a franchise. It can't be South Melbourne, it can't be Melbourne Knights, it can't be Sydney Olympic, it can't be Marconi. I think in the last 20 years, Australian football's come to terms a, a little bit better than what happened in 2003, 2004 by kicking out the ethnic clubs. Like, I'd love to paint it in a different way, but they they kicked them out and kicked them to the side, basically, to, to create the A-League. I think now everyone's got the, around their head that, well, hang on a minute, they're the lifeblood in some respects of, of Australian football, the the, um, the the high proportion of immigrants that came from Europe between 1950s and 1970s created these football clubs. So why are we trying to pretend that that didn't exist. I, th- I think we've got over that now and um, clubs like South Melbourne and Melbourne Knights and, you know, all, all the clubs up in Sydney as well and across across all of Australia, they're, they're welcome to rock up and call themselves whatever they, whatever they want as long as they're open to receiving anyone into their football club that they want. If if that's not the case, um, well, what's the point? But I, I don't get that feeling anymore, I would hope, and any club that does exclude anyone persons based on who they are and where they're from doesn't deserve to be into it and I'm sure Football Australia are well aware of that but I think the game's in a bit more mature place now to to deal with the fact that yes South Melbourne historically a Greek club is going to play in a national second division and is going to be proud of its Greek heritage but it's going to welcome all. Yeah it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out and the the other thing that I think uh, to, to flip this around and talk again about the A-League and the expansion um, is what that's going to look like and where those clubs are going to come from. Traditionally, Wollongong's been a strong, uh, you know, strong footballing port. There's some talk about an Auckland club. Of course, we've had a, a team on the Gold Coast, a team in North Queensland previously. Where do you think this expansion is going to go? If they want four more teams, where are those clubs going to come from? Yeah, that's a bloody good question. I, I, I guess they'd like another one over in New Zealand. So Auckland very much in play there. Um. Canberra, I, I can't understand why Australia's capital city doesn't have a professional football club. So that's definitely one. And 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 personally, I don't know what Wollongong are going to do. They've got a great history in the NSL. If they're going to go down the second tier route, or being, I've heard that they've got a benefactor, but not a benefactor that's going to be able to afford an A-League licence. Um, I'd chuck it in places like Brisbane and Perth, where you've got underperforming um, A-League clubs over time 
with all due respect to Brisbane's golden era about a decade ago, um, underperformed in, in many ways. So put another one in there to give an alternative to football fans, and there's football fans in Perth and Brisbane, and put the rocket up the existing force and maybe make them improve. I've seen it happen with my very eyes with Sydney FC and Western Sydney Wanderers. It, it worked. Western Sydney coming in helped Sydney FC in the long run because they had someone in their own backyard pushing them to greater things. So that's the way I'd go, but it's it's no clear-cut thing that um, any of those uh, locations are going to be first choice, second choice. Yeah, so you're talking like if it was Perth, it might be a, a Frio, and if it was Brisbane, a Gold Coast could work, or would you actually want a team in Brisbane? Oh, probably Brisbane. Brisbane's a big enough city, I'd, I'd say. Auckland's a big enough city to handle a football club by itself. I, I mean, you'd tell me more, but yeah, I, 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 Gold Coast, has it worked in, in previous years? No. Gold Coast United didn't work. It's just soulless in the end, and Clive Palmer pulled his money out and didn't work. So, yeah, I, I don't know. But they're, they're not jumping off the page at me at the moment, especially when you consider the last two expansions, Western United and Melt MacArthur. Look, they're, they're trying their best with a professional outlook, but they've got no fans comparatively to the, the established clubs. So, yeah, got to be very careful wherever they go and whatever they do. Yeah, I mean, to, to look at another sport, I, I did sort of scratch my head about when the NRL went to Redcliffe because I thought, surely if you're a league fan and you live in Brisbane, you're a Broncos fan. I mean, they've been around since whenever. Yeah, but the, the, there, I did an article on them last week that Brisbane is actually, yeah, they, they love their Broncos, but there's a proportion of the population up there that don't like the Broncos because of things like when the Broncos came in in 1988, they nicked all their players from the local comp. So it made everyone weaker and there's, you know, divisions created there. Redcliffe is on the northern fringe of of uh, Brisbane and they want to be the club all the way up to Rockhampton, 600 k's north. So there's a big bit of territory there that they can really make themselves successful in. So And rugby league's an institution in Queensland as well, which helps. But, um, yeah, the, you, you do need to be really, really careful with your expansion because as we've seen in football with MacArthur and Western United, it's one thing to have the money and the capital and the drive to create a good team what about a club would a second australia uh, a second new zealand team in an australian comp be welcomed by australian football fans yeah i think so if it, if it makes sense they're certainly not against it and it's been pretty impressive to see in the last few years what wellington have been able to to do and the style of football that they play um i as opposed to like say 2015-16 i i don't hear of what are wellington doing in the comp anymore and I think that's a point towards how well they've done on and off the pitch. And they've got a good training base over there, I understand. And they've always got Kiwi kids coming through. So, yeah, I, I see no problem with having another one in there. It, if it's not at the expense of something that absolutely makes sense over here in Australia. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, on that then, because that then throws another potential spanner in the works, right? What if Wellington or Auckland in a A-League situation where you have promotional relegation get relegated? Yeah. Yeah, uh, probably have to go back to the New Zealand comp, and I don't know how they get back in. Um, that is, you can't have a team protected from relegation, so it's a bloody good thought, and I don't know how it would work if they'd have to go back and do what the, the Warriors do in rugby league and play in the New South Wales Cup, if you like, the the second div of, of rugby league. But um, it's a massive cost exercise if you go down to a second division and you're flying to Australia every two weeks, mm-hmm. and... In addition, the clubs over here in the second division, it's a big cost base for them. 
exactly. You want Qantas on board as a sponsor. I think that's what you want. Or in New Zealand, or <laughs> not Jetstar, because you probably wouldn't get up in the air. <laughs> yeah, fair point. Fair point, Adam. Hey, listen, mate, thanks very much for your time. Great to chat football with you, mate. Go well and keep up the good work at Code, eh? No problems. Thanks, mate. And good to chat. This is Phoenix Nation. Thanks to Oppo on SENZ. Let's go around the grounds, catch up with some of the news uh, that has come out of late. And uh, one piece of news involves a former Wellington Phoenix goalkeeper, and that is uh, Danny Vukovic. Danny Vukovic has uh, confirmed his retirement uh, from Australian football. He has decided uh, to call it a day at the age of 37. Of course, he was part of the squad that went to Qatar this year. He also represented Australia at under 20 and under 23 level, uh, but he bows out. No no word yet on whether or not he's going to continue as a professional, but he's definitely uh, bowed out as an international, so he'll no longer be available for the Socceroos, who have actually just announced that in March they play two games in Australia against Ecuador. And also on the news front, some injury news for you, and uh, not great news if you're a Melbourne City fan, uh, Matthew Leckie is going to move, uh, miss about two months of action after suffering a hamstring strain in the 3-2 win over Sydney FC. Uh, that is a massive blow for Melbourne City. He is a key part of that three-pronged attack that they have. So uh, that is not great. On the other side of Melbourne, uh, also not great news uh, because they have lost Jake Brimmer. That's the Melbourne victory. He uh, basically, early injury diagnosis is not good. Um, that was after the one-all draw against Adelaide on Sunday. Grimacing and pain went down on the turf, holding his left knee. Um, so we'll have to wait and see what the final diagnosis is. But both of those teams are going to be uh, hit by that, both Melbourne City and Melbourne, uh, the Melbourne victory as well. And a news from the Liberty A-League, uh, the Central Coast are back next season. They will be part of the Liberty A-League after uh, completing seasons in 2008 and 2009 where they were runners-up. They then dropped out, but they will be back next season. And they have named Emily Husband as their head coach. She's currently coaching at Sydney University as the head coach for the team there. Uh, she's going to continue that through this season and then meet up with Central Coast for next season. She's had a great playing career as well, played at Leeds United, Manchester City and Huddersfield Town as well. And she's had some coaching experience too in the Liberty A-League. Uh, she coached uh, as an assistant at Canberra United during the 2020-21 season and has also worked with both Leeds United and Chelsea in the women's game as well uh, in the coaching department. So great news for the Mariners that A, that they're back, another team in the A-League uh, Women's League, which is great to see, uh, but also... Um, bringing a lot of know-how with her as well. And then shots fired, finally, ahead of the Big Blue this weekend. Sydney FC, Melbourne victory. They call it the Big Blue over in Aussie. But Adam Santo, uh, who's the chief executive of Sydney, not the person you'd expect, uh, he's basically um, come out and said, look, you know, we... If you keep it factual, if you add up the cumulative number of fans who have gone to games, uh, it doesn't add up to what Sydney FC get. Talking about both Melbourne teams, uh, the attendance is uh, number one in the league. The football's in good health up here. We are the number one in terms of reach on TV as well. We want to push that through and dominate all of the metrics. We should be considered the premier league, premier club in the A-League. So shots fired ahead of the big blue this weekend. Looking forward to that one. You're on SENZ. This is Phoenix Nation. Thanks to Oppo and Kate Taylor from the Wellington Phoenix Liberty A-League side joins us. Uh, Kate, 
Good afternoon, mate. Uh, how's the week been? Hey, how are you? Yeah, the the week's been pretty good. It's been nice weather here in Wellington, and we've been getting stuck in after the weekend game. Can't beat it on a good day, apparently. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> uh, yeah, the weekend's game. Let's talk a little bit about that, mate. Uh, one nil loss to Sydney. Um, Given where they are on the table, um, I thought the performance was pretty good. Um, and just unfortunate lack of cutting edge in front of goal, maybe, and, um, and and probably deserve something out of the game, really. I mean, it's a couple of 1-0 losses now. Yeah, I think you look at Sydney, and they're, they're a great side in the A-League, but I think for us, we were we were quite unfortunate and I think disappointed to, to not get a result, whatever that looked like. Um yeah, I think we, we had some really good chances and I think we played pretty good after um, having a little bit of a break off. But yeah, I think I think those one nils really kill you. Yeah, they do. They they do kill you. What was the uh, what was the mood afterwards and what did Nat say to the group? Yeah, I think afterwards we were all pretty disappointed and I think it's really good that we that we came out and we, and we played good. Obviously we're in Auckland so it was home away from home again, which was really awesome to, to be there, but Nat kind of said, you know, we, we versed Sydney twice last year. We lost 5-0 and 3-0. And so to get 1-0 is a definite improvement. And that's what, what we like to see. But I think for us, we we really needed a win. And I think that's what the aim was. Yeah, of course. Every, you, you want to go into every game uh, uh, getting a win, right? Um, for you, uh, a change of position as well, right? Sitting a little bit further forward in the midfield and, and trying to screen the defence. How, how did that work out for you? How, how are you finding that shift? <laughs> yeah, that was a bit of a surprise going into the game, but I'm always happy to, to play whatever role I can for the team, and and that's what they needed at that time because Betsy was out injured. But yeah, I think it was a bit of fun, and I, I like changing it up a little bit, but definitely a lot harder than you think. Yeah, what did you find the biggest challenge was uh, changing position and, and playing that position particularly? I think just having to, to be on a, a full 360 the whole time. I, I had to help the defence out, but also be really depressed. And so to be able to do that is quite challenging and you're getting directions from everywhere. So that communication is definitely important and I can see how beneficial it is when you're giving clear, detailed calls from the back now. Do you think it'll actually improve you as a centre-back uh, if, if you go back there in terms of the way you communicate with those in front of you? Yeah, definitely. I think it's so important. I think that really opened my eyes up to, to what can be done from the back and how pivotal and influential the, the back line is to the rest of the team. What uh, conversations did Natalie and, and Yetka, because Yetka also played you there, right? Um, what what conversations did they have with you about playing the role? <laughs> when I went in there with the Ferns, I didn't actually get told much. I I got called out by the physio. She said, come on, you're, you're going on in midfield. And I said, what? I had no time to kind of process what was happening, but I ended up not going straight in there. So I had a little bit of time to kind of warm up and, and get used to being on the pitch against a really class side like Argentina. But she just said, whatever you can do, like do it, back yourself, be confident, play the passes that you know you can make and, and just enjoy it. And I think that's what I tried to do. Obviously, we, we lost 1-0 there as well, but you know, I, I got forward and I tried my best, but you can always do better. And then the same with Nat, basically. Just take charge where you can, help others around you and, and enjoy doing what you do. In terms of uh, the, the change, you know, going oh, not just in position, but changing teams too, right? Going uh, to the Ferns and then coming back uh, to the Phoenix. 
How is that difference, um, I guess, in opposition for you, whether it's style or, or level? I mean, playing, uh, you know, the Argentinians versus playing Sydney FC, was there much difference for you? Yeah, I think there was a little bit of a difference. I think, obviously, international football is definitely a step up, and, and you can probably see that while watching. I think even the communication on the field is different. How you move is different. You're, you're moving one way, one second, and one way the next. I think it's just a little bit quicker, and, and that's the reality of international football, and I would hope that would be the case. But definitely the A-League's getting there, and I think I was still trying to move as fast as I could everywhere I could on the pitch on for the Phoenix in the weekend, and so... Yeah, I think I think they're they're definitely bridging the gap, but I think international football is just a little bit of a step up, and you have to think about a number of different things at the at the same time. Of course, the uh, the Ferns have got a couple of games, I think, in March, right up in Europe. Um, not I'm not don't know if you're going to be part of that group. You probably don't know yet either, and until Yip makes the call. But uh, how um, how big um, how big a moment in your career would it be to go to Europe to represent New Zealand? Yeah, I think it would be pretty cool to, to be able to go back there. That's where I got my first cap, and so to, to go back there would be pretty awesome. And obviously it's getting quite intense now, getting close to the World Cup, and so every second of every day counts, and I think that's what myself and, and the rest of the people that are up to selection are looking at. You've got a leadership role at, at the Phoenix, right? Uh, you're vice-captain, and you've you've captained the side quite a lot with Lily being injured and things. Um how have you found that second season in? And also, what have you learned, you know, when you go into the Ferns and you're playing alongside and training alongside people like Ali Riley uh, that, that, have, that have been there, done that for so long? Yeah, I think it's been hard this season being being vice-captain. Obviously, I was out for a while with injury and then I, had, I got suspended for a game. So I think my role kind of looked a bit different um, this year compared to, to last year when I was playing uh, pretty much every single game but I think it's just the little things that I try to focus on how I can help the person next to me or or people in my position when I'm out or what what can I see differently to being on the pitch as I know that you know when you're in the game you don't see as much as, as when you're kind of drawn back a little bit and looking at the whole picture but yeah I think it's been different this year and not necessarily in a bad way I think it's been really good and it's, it's helped me with my leadership skills and I have to be able to to provide leadership when it's hard and when I'm not on the pitch and, and that's what I had to do this year and yeah definitely going into the Ferns is a lot different um, the, the whole team of leaders and obviously that's the same here but you know Ali Riley is is awesome and she's an awesome person, awesome player and awesome leader and so you can learn whatever you can off her whether it's leadership skills or, or on the pitch skills so that's pretty awesome and I'm grateful to be able to do that as well. Now, this weekend, uh, you welcome Brisbane Raw to the tin. Um, I think you owe them one from last time, don't you? <laughs> Definitely. I think it's going to be a really awesome match, and I can't wait to, to go back up against them and, and an old former teammate and a football firm's teammate as well. Yeah, last time I, I talked to Natalie, uh, you know, she said that the team went so well with 10, they actually talked about starting with 10 the following week. Um, I know she was, she was probably joking on that front, but, um, you know, you take confidence out of that because you, you did dominate that Raw team and should have probably had the win. Yeah, definitely. I know that the goal that Mickey Robertson scored wasn't offside, and so technically that game we scored four goals and, and they scored three, so that, that's a win for me. But, yeah, I think... 
looking looking back at that game, there's so much that we can take from that and, and put it into this week. Another home home game and it's a pride round for us, so it's really exciting. And I think that's definitely got to give us momentum and, and push us. And we're going to do every single little thing we can to, to get a result because we need it. Yeah, I saw actually uh, you mentioned of the pride round uh, that there are uh, instead of yellow fever, it's going to be rainbow fever this week. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really cool and, and special to be a part of a club that's willing to do that and a fan base that, that's ready and raring to go no matter what week or what round it is. And so I think everyone's looking forward to that um, and being back home with the men and, and us playing at the same time as well. Yeah, no, it should be fantastic. It'd be a great crowd. Hey, listen, Kate, thanks very much for your time, mate. Best of luck this weekend and hopefully we can get one back on, on the raw, uh, get a W and get a little bit closer to Newcastle, eh? That sounds good to me. Thank you very, very much.